Hi there, I'm AR, and this is the 18th log and the fourth rant on The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. Welcome to the Lore Research Lab. Today's thesis, The Hero's Journey, How Breath of the Wild Crafts a Convincing Heroic Narrative, and more. <laughs> it's time to deep dive, folks. First, some background. What is the hero's journey? And why should you know about it? So obviously you heard um, the word hero come up a lot in discussions um, throughout the entire like runtime of this the series. Just everything, right? Heroes come up a lot. And I, you know, I've discussed our protagonist of Breath of the Wild, Link, um, in line with uh, heroic characterizing. I don't know. I'm forgetting words, but that's normal, I guess. But you get the point. Link is our hero, and the hero's journey is, like in many other mediums, integral to not only his characterization, but the way that it's done. It's well done, in my opinion. His hero's journey is actually part of a kind of a long lineage, a greater history of something called Hero's Journey. So uh, why, why should you, you know about it? Because <laughs> you'll realize that this formula has been adapted in one way or another, and the formula that, or I guess the steps I'm about to present to you, um, it's not the only format, but the Hero's Journey is an archetype in and of itself in fiction comes up a lot in all kinds of stories and games are not uh, exempt from that that scheme I don't know uh, it, it, you should know about it because I feel like it's 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 interesting but still informative in a way and uh, helps to also guide why it's important that links the hero and the attributes that make him a hero. Um, and as, I've as I want to argue here is that Breath of the Wild's particular construction of Link in this narrative is, uh, or I should say this, this game or whatever, it's, it's convincing, it makes sense, even within, you know, even though it does follow a bit of an archetype. So uh, let me go over some of the, I guess, constituents of the hero's journey or the heroic quest from this great book, great, great book, great book called The Greek and Roman Myths, A Guide to Classical Stories. So let us see. Let's start with the basic heroic uh, quest. Quote, essentially the heroic quest uh, went through the following stages. Part one, origins. Commoners need not apply. The great heroes of myth are noble or even semi-divine, uh, end quote. So. Uh, well, we got that with Link. Um, he is, at least in this game, he is supposed to be the, he's supposed to come from this lineage of uh, knights who have always served the Hylian crown, so um, he's, he's checked off the noble part. This isn't to say that at some point in history, going way back when, whatever, that Link wasn't, or like his family wasn't necessarily part of a uh, 
like maybe he wasn't always part of a noble lineage, uh, lineage, but in like whatever recent memory and from what we know about like the most immediate family history, he is. So that's part one out of the way. Part two, quote, malign destiny. A hero is born with the cosmic dice weighted against him. Since attempting to avoid one's destiny is invariably futile, most heroes concentrate on sharing pain with as many deserving victims as possible, end quote. Um, obviously, this book is, has a little bit of a slightly humorous slash cynical take on uh, these descriptions, but uh, We've talked about the cynical cycle of Link's characterization a lot. I'm going to talk more about characterization later, but because um, I just want to talk about the hero's quest, the hero's journey right now. Um, we know that Link, he does not have the best luck, and there's a lot riding on his shoulders alone. This is shared by Zelda, obviously. These two are fated to stop evil together, but it's always just the two of them. Uh, and usually, um, the hero's journey, once it meets its ending, a lot will have happened, both good and harrowing, so there's a lot of hardship, um, and in this context, Link and Zelda are both heroes of, of the Breath of the Wild story, um, but we're, fo we're let's, we'll, fo we'll focus on Link just because he's the character you play as, and he's the, I guess, Whatever you control his action, so you have a direct impact on everything that happens in the game. So we're just gonna focus on him for now. But anyways, yes, there's a lot that is expected of him, and this doesn't come without some kind of cost. Part three, quote, into bondage. Uh, our hero somehow ends up in the power of a nasty king who sends him on a carefully contrived, and then it goes to part four, suicide mission, end quote. So. Part three and four, this is this is a little bit different than what we see in Breath of the Wild. We don't have a particular equivalence of this, but there is one way that this could be spun, which is that, let's say, King of Evil, um, though that's not Calamity Ganon's direct characterization in Breath of the Wild. He is a kind of all-encompassing evil, a king, like he monopolizes evil in a very king-like way, let's say being this demonic pig and stuff. Um, and it's Link's, I guess, journey and his destiny is mostly guided by the villain of our story. So uh, it's because of this villain that he ends up uh, doing these very laborious tasks. He, end up, he ends up doing things um, that under normal circumstances wouldn't have had to been completed. If we go back into the game lore more about the myth of 10,000 years ago, then we know that the hero was supposed to just simply succeed in defeating the, the demonic pig with the princess, blah, blah, blah. Like that was supposed to be like all fine and dandy. Obviously, um, Breath of the Wild presents us with the opposite outcome, which is that everything just goes to So because of that, um, this, this part can be somewhat explained if you're to contextualize it in the sense of the game, Breath of the Wild, and all that stuff. Um, the suicide mission in question, um, the, basically the main the main quests of, of the game, if you will, notably freeing the divine beasts. Now, from a game perspective, if you've played the games, or if you haven't played the games, uh, I, I think for the people who have played the games, and if you're like me and you've played it a number of times, then at a certain point, 
from a gameplay standpoint, it does become easier to deal with the puzzles and all the tasks you have to complete once solving, you know, the Divine Beast and facing whatever Ganon Blight is on there. That becomes a lot easier with the number of times you play the game and just get used to the game mechanics. Um, and for someone who hasn't played the game, well, yeah, that's the, the aforementioned explanation there. That's generally how it goes. But from a storytelling perspective, um, and you were to just focus on, let's say, Link as a character. Link here, uh, I don't know, four gi like gigantic mechs that are uh, inhabited by all kinds of monsters and malice and have very complicated puzzles that the average Hylian would never undertake. For one guy to do that completely on his own with little to no aid, that's that that's that's a lot. That's I wouldn't say it necessarily a suicide mission, but I would say that it is like okay, maybe it kind of is. Cause like if again from a storytelling perspective, if Link were to fall off of any of the mechs, so with uh Varuta, I feel like he'd be kind of okay because it's just water and can just swim to safety. But with Varudanya, you're in you're literally in the volcano. You fall out of that thing and getting burnt alive. From for Bob Meadow, you're high up in the sky and falling from that altitude. It can't it can't end well? And Vonaboris, I wouldn't really know, but you're still falling from a high height, and it's there's like just sand below. And I I don't know physics and stuff, so I, I don't entirely know. But for the sake of argument, let's just say this is the suicide mission in question, because other than beating Ganon, that's probably the other most demanding task that the game expects of you, where you have to face demanding mini-bosses that don't require the same, the, the exact same battle tactics compared to the enemies that you face elsewhere in the game. So anyways, we continue. Part five, quote, assistance. While contemplating his task, our hero obtains heroic implements and assistance, divine or otherwise, end quote. So, um, that you do get though so because of the suicide mission in question uh the divine beasts um you do get a helper for every single um every single divine beast for example and elsewhere in the game obviously but i'll just use this as the like most primary example i guess so you have um prince sidon helping you with varuta you have um uh, teba who helps you with Meadow. You have Yunobo, who helps you with Varudania, and you have um, the chief uh, Riju, you have her helping you with Vaanaboris. So, though they can't help you with the actual task at hand, those characters, for each respective divine beast, aid you in uh, making, the, um, making the divine beast an accessible area, because up until that point, it will, it, it has, it, it, it has its, its, its own conscience, it's it's pretty active. It, it also, it's also hostile thanks to being converted by Ganon through Malice. So, um, and Link cannot do those things alone. So he needs some people to help him out with that part of it, but everything else is left up to him. Uh, so we got that. Assistance is checked out of the way. Part six, quote, the journey. Our hero proceeds his destiny generally leaving a trail of corpses along the way, end quote. Um, so, I, I, I want to sound more positive here, but this is also kind of true. 
Um, monsters are monsters, and monsters aren't great in this game. But, uh, and even from whatever, uh, seeing the captured memories and things like that in this game, uh, it, a lot of things are dying. Link does have to kill a lot of things to make things possible. And uh, obviously when we see a heroic character, we because they are doing things for a greater good, we don't tend to really question necessarily the outcome in certain cases. I'm speaking like in a very broad way, and this isn't with any bias, like I'm not arguing for one way or another. But if you think about in movies, for example, that tend to have a heroic character of some kind, and there's some kind of organization or underground group or something of some kind that they have to defeat, um, usually lots of other people I'm imagining like cars flying over streets and things like that, buildings burning. Like they're like things that come at the cost of the hero accomplishing the task. So um, the journey of the hero is never without some kind of loss. And technically Link has already accomplished this kind of thing without it being his fault um, per se, but because of his destiny. It affects other people. The loss of the original champions who were supposed to pilot the, the, the Divine Beast. Um, you could say even that the hero's journey began well before the game, but because it was obstructed, it was never fully realized, and we're only having the realized heroic quest come into this version of Breath of the Wild instead of in the memories that you see where Link and Zelda were supposed to have accomplished what was expected of them. Uh, so, yeah, people... people it, there is death and it's not great and that happens as part of the heroic quest so uh things things come at a cost and that definitely happens in breath of the wild part seven quote doing the deed this was the sometimes stirring sometimes anticlimactic moment when the mission was accomplished end quote so definitely the ending of the game um I did like that final battle. I feel like I've mentioned this before, but you know, it's been a while, so I'm gonna say it again. Um, I liked the final battle. The controls are a little bit wonky. I'm willing to overlook it though, because I love the music. I, I like how demonic Dark Beast Ganon looks. It's just a giant flaming purple pig and I'm here for it it's 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 mildly entertaining like i don't know that i take it entirely seriously if i'm analyzing things from a lore perspective then yes i will talk about it a bit more seriously but um playing the game itself i'm like oh my god this is kind of like fun like oh crap oh crap oh crap like you're just like moderately freaking out but kind of enjoying the experience the way that that battle ends and again i know that i've mentioned this before but i i, I need to reiterate it um, is the way that it happens is that after hitting Dark Beast Ganon enough times with light arrows, um, you'll hear Zelda like calling from inside, shoot the big eye on the top of his head. And when you do, she's released from his spell or whatever. She's able to emerge out of his body and she uses the power of the goddess invested in her and just envelops the freaking pig in a gigantic ball of light. And then it's just, it's done. That's it. As soon as you hit that last eye, it's like the game has actually technically ended right then and there. Obviously there's a cutscene and stuff that happens afterwards, but, um, and you do watch Zelda basically, I don't know, disintegrating, evaporating. I don't know what the best word for it is, but 
Ganon goes poop, basically, in this gigantic ball of light. Like, there's purple, and there's black and red and stuff, and then suddenly there's nothing, and it's clear as blue skies, and Zelda's fine, and you're fine, and stuff. So, um, that's how it ends. It's a little bit anticlimactic, because um, I would say that if I would compare this to, let's say, the ending of Ocarina of Time, um, first of all, it was more bittersweet, and second of all, actually, Breath of the Wild still has a bittersweet ending to it, but Ocarina of Time, I think, overall still has a slightly more bittersweet ending. Um, so the way that that game ends is that, like I said, with most final boss fights in the Legend of Zelda franchise, um, you will have uh, a two-phase boss fight with Ganon. There'll be one where he's pretty strong and it's annoying, and then there's a second phase where he's slightly stronger and it's more annoying and tedious but still demanding and you gotta, you gotta beat it. Um, in that one, he's, you're, you're playing magic tennis, second phase, he turns into a giant demonic pig wielding swords and is slashing at you and it's very, it's very, it's very tedious. Um, but you have to, like in between those two phases, there's a bit where you actually, the castle's falling apart and you and Zelda need to like, just get out of there because there's a timer in the game. If you don't get out fast enough, then you like lose that segment and it reloads the game back to when you beat the first phase of Ganon. So you're doing that bit over and over. And there's even many bosses that you have to fight in between. So there's a lot of, I guess you could say rising action in this one segment, even though it's not even the end of the game. And then when you do finally beat him, oh, it's like, it's so momentous because um, you go stabby stab on him, and then the seven sages are like, okay, time to invest all of our magical powers at once, collect all the powers of all the fruits, use it on the dude. I'm calling it fruits because they just are very, like, colorful. Use the fruits. Everyone uses their powers on him. Zelda's doing it. Everyone's doing it. It's a whole party thing, and bam, he's defeated. It's, it's so cool. It's so cool. But yeah, so <laughs> to sum up, uh, part seven is accomplished. Um, uh, the thing is, is that, uh, I'll talk about part eight, but not part nine. So part eight, quote, getting home, see part six with extra corpses, end quote. Um, so we don't technically get this, um, in Breath of the Wild. In fact, it's a fairly okay ending in the sense that you aren't met with more danger um, but there is that foreshadowing in the true ending of the game, which is Link and Zelda. They're walking uh, in the fields together, and Zelda's talking about future plans and rebuilding for Hyrule. Valruta has run into some problems for some reason, and the two of them need to go check it out. But basically, Hyrule is entering peace times. The getting home part, as part of the heroic quest, is um, uh, in, in Link's case, it's... Um, kind of straightforward but it is still accomplished again you'd say i'd say like the most number of corpses heavy quotes on that um would be whatever enemies that you destroy um in the castle the defeat of ganon and then that's that's kind of it it kind of ends there as far as you as the player are aware of um uh things like that so uh, the construction of the hero here, the heroic quest, we can see that based on this format, uh, Link's journey in Breath of the Wild mirrors a very, uh, it mirrors this step-by-step uh, -step process that 
um, I have described. So let's talk about characterization and things that typically encompass a hero. So if we had just had to like talk about Link, who is Link in this game? He doesn't talk. Well, you don't hear him talk. He technically does talk because he can respond to NPCs when you um, like uh, enter a conversation with a character or something. You technically are responding back, but you know what I mean? Like he, you don't hear him, his voice. So whatever he, let's just say he's, he's, he's silent like 99% of the time. Um, he's kind of stoic, or not, sorry, not stoic. He's just kind of serious and stone-faced and he is a model of composure. This guy, nothing phases Link. Link is not a guy who is phased by things. Um, he's, his martial prowess is very good. This guy can fight. He, uh, and he can wield different kinds of weapons. So he's a very versatile fighter. And the problem is that once you give him, or I, I shouldn't say problem, but you give him the legendary sword, you know, the master sword, the sword that seals the darkness, uh, you know, the guy's unstoppable, honestly. It's it's kind of cool, but also kind of scary. Um, uh, in any case, he is very good at fighting. Um, and, uh, well, as a fun kind of tidbit thing, he he really loves food like the the way you see him in the game and when you have to like cook meals to refill your health or something like that like link always just looks so happy when he eats um that's kind of a funny thing is he's there is that mild characterization of him being a bit gluttonous or just really liking food and i i think that's kind of mildly entertaining not that we see that um version of link in the captured memories um uh, quest and things like that, but you, whatever, that's Link's general characterization, and especially in the present one, like the one you play as, as I guess the player, the Link you um, see in the game, is he's also an, an amnesiac, so he's um, someone who doesn't have memories of his own life and the lives of other people that are important to him, and his, I guess, journey and his, uh, sorry, you can see the heroic quest, as I mentioned, has been obstructed as a result. So he doesn't really begin as a hero or really anything. He's just a random guy before the ghost of King Rome informs him of who he is and everything that's expected of him. And then all of a sudden, Link is now forced to deal with the situation of being the hero and embarking on the heroic quest. Um, so I'd like to talk about just general characterizations of other heroic figures that we see in, I guess, mostly ancient fiction. So, uh, much like Link, if we look at Virgil's Aeneid, um, the Aeneid is one of like a bunch of very famous um, epics. Uh, it's a it's an epic that was produced, I believe, in first century CE AD. I don't know what people say um, by a writer named Virgil, and it was written in a Homeric style. Granted, these Homer, who wrote the Odyssey and the Iliad, two very famous epics, um, 
Homer and Virgil are hundreds and hundreds of years apart. So for Virgil to be writing in um, uh, the Homeric style uh, and basically readapting a Homeric story, because he mentions characters that appear in the Odyssey and the Iliad, but they have been recontextualized for a Roman audience. Um, to write it in that style, that was kind of like a, a big thing. And it was also in service to the state and the budding Roman Empire at the time. So uh, that that is what it is in terms of historical context. But the hero of Virgil's Aeneid is Aeneas. And he is supposed to have been someone who, uh, there was in the Iliad, just sorry for some more historical context, in the Iliad, to summarize it really briefly, there's other stuff going on, obviously, but it's a war between the Greeks and Trojans over like uh, many years. And it's not until something like the ninth or 10th year that the war actually ends. But the way that it ends is that the Trojans uh, home city or whatever, Troy, um, is ambushed by the Greeks and the Greeks used a trick. If you know the, the story of the Trojan horse, it comes from this, this epic, um, which is... Uh, or I guess, whatever, this, I'm mixing up the details. The, between the Iliad and the Odyssey, you learn about the story of the Trojan horse, which was the Greek ploy to trick the Trojans into thinking that they had given up on the war and were gonna like call a ceasefire kind of thing. But instead in the, like hidden in this gigantic wooden horse structure, the Greek soldiers emerge out of it and start attacking the entire city, burning, burning down Troy. Um, there's death. It's not so great. Aeneas is supposed to be a Trojan that has escaped from his uh, from the city of Troy, burning down. He lost his uh, wife and things like that along the way. His hero's journey is that he doesn't necessarily have a big sense of purpose when he starts, but it, because he actually is semi-divine, he is the son of a goddess, Venus. Um, uh, he is then invested with purpose. He is given something to do with his life. He needs to found a new civilization for the surviving Trojans. And then in turn, they will rename themselves and become a more prosperous, a prosperous uh, civilization. Um, and basically recovering from the big loss the Trojans felt by losing to the Greeks here. So that's Aeneas's goal. He doesn't have any purpose at first, but then from one, after you know one thing or another, like things happen and now he has purpose. So um, not to be like stretching the comparisons too much, but Link and Aeneas start off similarly, which is that neither have a sense of purpose and have either is have either escaped great danger or are just kind of in a lull before anything else is happening in their own life story. And with some motivation from an external force, such as um, a spiritual deity-like character, they are then given their heroic quest and they now embark on the typical hero's journey now that they have this purpose, now that it is made aware to them and it is their duty to ensure the the journey ends and the task is accomplished. So that is similar um, in a sense. Now, I'd like to talk about how complicated the characterization of the hero can become. So I have mentioned this other epic, if you will, and I believe episode five, that was so long ago, right? Episode five, where I was talking about 
Zelda and mythology. So the other epic I mentioned there was a Hindu epic known as the Mahabharata. And the text itself, um, it's very, it, it's a, there, it's, there's so much going on, honestly. And to uh, take apart stories, but there's stories within stories. There's stories about people telling stories. It's so, it's very confusing, um, but it's definitely worth the read. And it's a very, it's a very complicated read because um, as I had mentioned in that episode, there is no kind of good and evil. It's not as simple as black and white. It's a very blended narrative that challenges the idea of what heroes are, what's good, um, you know, the kind of values that people need to practice in society. And obviously there's a lot of cultural and other historical things that go along with it. But for um, this discussion from a purely scholarly and analytical perspective, I'm just looking at how this text uh, tries to form an image around what a hero is. So one of the characters that appears very prominently in the text and has, in Hinduism is a very prominent figure um, is a, I would say demigod, but he's also kind of a god and his name is Krishna. So Krishna in the Mahabharata is um, he's uh, the cousin to one of the prominent families um, in the narrative. So he's close to a lot of the princes that you read a lot about in the story. And he acts as a mediator at some points. But the problem with, or I shouldn't say problem with Krishna, but where Krishna becomes a complicated character is that he is semi-divine. He's a, he's a king, he's a kingdom of his own. Um, and he has like superior intelligence. So he is more, in touch with knowledge, nature, um, being, like he, he just knows everything kind of thing. And he tends to uh, dictate what is good, what is right, but at the same time contradicts himself. And I'm like, that's not, okay, that's something. So he's obviously a very complicated figure because there are contradictions and certain things that he preaches you can maybe somewhat agree with or understand, but then there's other times where he's going against his own like moral compass and then you're wondering where does this guy really align himself so um uh i'll talk about this question of violence and how we question a heroic character so um following these two episodes that appear in this you know gigantic text it's called war and peace and the mission of the blessed lord and this is kind of nearing the end of one of the broader stories that appears in the text which is, um, as I mentioned, he's the cousin to uh, um, a family of princes. There's uh, five princes on one side, and then there's a hundred on the other, and they basically go to war. It isn't as simple as that. I don't like simplifying this story, but I, just for the sake of argument, that's what I'll say. Um, so these two episodes that you see appear in the text, they um, illustrate uh, a stance, his stance, possibly on the morality of, uh, violence and Krishna here is trying to explain how to deal with it. So he delivers a speech to um, one of the princes from the, the family, like a hundred like uh, princes, there's five on one side, hundred princes on the other, in the other family. So he's speaking to um, the eldest one from the hundred and he's encouraging him to maintain peace and, and by, uh, he's advising him to just reflect on some uh, core values that these princes are supposed to practice and preserve the lives of the whole family. If these two 
like families of cousins go to war between the five who have their like armies backing them, but they just don't have the number of people. And then the hundred, which they're obviously more powerful. They're the ones ruling at the current point in time. If they go to war, this is disastrous for the family. It's lost on so many sides for so many people, and it could just be harrowing for everyone. Um, so like I mentioned, Chris, uh, this character, Krishna, he does many uh, questionable things throughout the text. Uh, um, but this moment of clarity regarding um, uh, uh, regarding uh, how this prince should continue going forward, um, his efforts are about nonviolence. He is asking that just consider what this means for your family, what this means for yourself, that your own cousins, you're going to war with your own cousins. Like, this isn't a good thing for anyone. Um, so the core of Krishna's argument here is don't go to war. Um, and I find that really interesting because what ends up happening though is that despite these mediations happening and both parties trying to come to an agreement, they fail to and do eventually go to war. So we are met with a, a violent outcome. We're met with a lot of loss from both families and uh, the princes, certain princes from either side of the war have their own moments of doubt and their own times where they are questioning the fact that they are, you know, um, murdering and, 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 and fighting, you know, people that they are friends with, their own family. Um, there's a great amount of loss that, spa that spans across the number of days that the, the two parties go to war, basically. And this, I guess, effort made by Krishna's character here to try and meet, to like, for things to be peaceful and for it to not be accomplished, I thought it was interesting to highlight that. And you might be wondering why, but um, it's it's because if you think in Breath of the Wild, I'll bring this back to Breath of the Wild now. In Breath of the Wild, um, peace is not an option. You can't, uh, in the game, there's no way to try and be diplomatic with Ganon. And ultimately because things were already going to go down the drain a hundred years ago, you're just living in the aftermath of something that was supposed to be completed many years before. Like, this is a very delayed response to completing the hero's journey, as I've repeatedly mentioned. So I think it's interesting that another aspect of being a hero is that while peace should be pursued and that it is worth making that effort, um, in a cynical kind of way, it's like for the hero, they just cannot meet that standard. They can't, they can't accomplish peace. It's not as, uh, it doesn't seem plausible. It, it, it sucks, really, that that's one of the things that we can associate with a heroic character or someone who tries to do heroic things. And like I said before, Krishna's a very complicated figure, and I don't know that I would categorize him strictly as a hero, but he has heroic motivations, put a question mark on that one. Um, it still makes sense to mention that uh, whole episode from the text, just because we can transpose this to Breath of the Wild, the construction um, of the hero, how the hero is characterized, and the fact that themes of uh, peace, but also violence can be associated with the character. Um, in like a very broad way, there's a lot of things that you can do in Breath of the Wild. And as, assuming you don't actually care about beating the game and you're just there to kind of do things, um, you know, you can go get your, your clothes dyed at the dye shop. You can help 
um, moms in fishing villages, like Loreland Village, you can help her make a meal for her kid or something, and she'll give you a meal as well. Like, you can do kind of fun, wholesome, cute things like that. Although that's not a constituent of the heroic character. Um, it's like you can do peaceful things, but it wouldn't be in service of accomplishing the heroic quest. So, uh, I thought that's an interesting dialogue and an interesting comparison to make. Um, and yeah, so the characterization of the hero is interesting. If we take Link's characterization, he appears a certain way, but he does share lots of commonalities with other heroes that you see. And in certain ways, obviously not, he's not like every other whatever fictional or hero character or otherwise. Um, Epic also, it, it's like myth and stuff. It could be taken as fact or as something else. It's up to interpretation. So it's historical, it's mythical. I don't know, all that stuff. The way Link uh, compares to these characters, it's not like he's exactly like them, but it's interesting that we can draw these comparisons and see similarities between these uh, epic heroes and a hero from a video game. So lastly, I would just like to talk about the role of the hero and just some fun little points. So why do we have heroes? Yeah, it sounds like a stupid question, but um, the thing is, is that uh, the cynical cycle that Link's character is always presented with, and also Zelda in turn, um, the cynical cycle these characters are always presented with is that evil exists, which is why they need to exist. So. The idea then would be that if there is no evil, then there's no need for a hero. But that's not the case in Hyrule. There's always some kind of evil swelling somewhere and you're always going to need your heroes to deal with that. And unfortunately for Link and Zelda, they will always only ever be the two heroes that deal with this, this issue, that deal with this threat. Um, usually on some kind of astronomical scale, it will shake the foundations of the earth if they do not deal with this imminent evil. Um, so heroes don't, uh, I guess, what's the word? They can exist, but not without something else existing. So heroes are almost like a byproduct of the existence of something else, uh, that being evil. If you don't have an evil figure, and this is what Ocarina of Time basically says at the end of the game, which is that um, the you could say the the way the game actually ends is it ends with Link and Zelda and they're kind of I think they're in the sacred realm or something but she explains to him that now because Hyrule is entering peacetime and they've defeated Ganon and he's not going to come back as far as they're concerned um, we we've explained here that Ocarina of Time is a game that deals with time travel Link is, has time traveled repeatedly to try and solve the problems of a future that has ended up coming into existence. But because that evil has been defeated and the characters of this, like this apocalyptic future now know how things come about and the reason why the evil is able to take over in the first place, now that they know how to deal with that, they just need to make sure that if they go back in time, they just won't do it. So, um, 
Zelda basically tells Link that because we're at the Hyrule's entering peacetime, I'm going to send you back in time so you can live out your childhood like a normal person and experience life for what it should be because Link's, I guess, childhood didn't even really exist because um, in the first half of the game, after you beat the initial stages and you find out that Ganon's taken over stuff, you Link goes into a deep sleep for like seven years or something and he wakes up a young adult so he didn't really experience anything he went from being a kid that couldn't really do anything and fought with basically a glorified butter knife to the hero who wields this legendary sword and is able to combat all evil like he didn't experience life he didn't have a natural life you know he didn't experience really anything so zelda is basically saying that you you need to go back to that life because that's what your life should have been so this isn't to say that the hero can never exist or that it's it's never bad that a hero exists and the game also ends on this kind of open-ended idea that even though link and zelda um have avoided this um that that cruel fate of ganon taking over everything lots of lives being lost things like that it is implied that link and zelda do meet anyway despite him not having to embark on a hero's journey at all um so uh, that that is what it is um but the role of the hero then is it's an interesting one obviously link needs to exist for more various reasons in this game the hero needs to be there but the hero is someone who solves problems they deal with extreme danger and they tend to encompass a lot of um ideals such as courage that are you know it's admirable it's not necessarily inherent to the average person it's not like everyone has the courage to do something so uh the hero is then an aspirational figure i don't know if this made any sense honestly because this is a rant and uh my rants tend to be very ranty and tangential and stuff so uh that i guess would conclude my thoughts on the hero um i thought it would just be an interesting and fun little thing to look into how link compares to other heroic characters that we see in more mythical slash historical texts um and how his characterization as the hero functions in a video game um as a really like quick comparison Mario also follows a very similar journey, which I will explain later. Once um, uh, RN and I have covered most of what we would like to talk about from this game, as I've mentioned, I think in my future research um, episode, um, I'm going to be talking about other game franchises. This felt like a good setup for that too, because you know, I, I think it's kind of interesting that Nintendo games typically uh, this is not just limited to Link, by the way. I just decided to focus on Breath of the Wild for this episode. This was the Lore Research Lab's findings on the hero's journey, how Breath of the Wild crafts a convincing heroic narrative and more from The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. Thanks for tuning in, folks, and I'll, I'll, I'll see you next time.